G'day everyone, welcome to the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining me again. And my guest today's primary role is as the CEO of the Menzies Foundation. Can I welcome to the podcast Liz Gillies? How are you, mate? Very well, thank you, Eric. Lovely to be with you today. Thank you for joining me. So before we get started, I just want you to, if you can, give us a bit of a breakdown as to what the foundation does and what its key aims and goals are. Certainly, Eric. So Menzies Foundation was established in 1979 to honour Sir Robert Menzies and his legacy. As you know, he was Australia's longest serving prime minister, irrespective of politics. And I think it'd be fair to say much loved prime minister. The foundation was actually established on the back of a public appeal. So the people of Australia contributed to the very beginnings of the foundation. And for its first 40 years, the foundation awarded scholarships to outstanding Australians and gave grants to support medical research. And in 2018, the foundation celebrated its 40th anniversary. And on that occasion, we unveiled a catalytic new strategy where we really took a look at the legacy of the foundation and thought that in the for its next iteration I suppose we'd focus on leadership more generally and so over those four years our catalytic strategies evolved to the point where we genuinely are focused on building a leadership movement that asks Australians to reflect on leadership pivot to purpose build their leadership capability and contribute to the greater good and we do that by identifying leadership challenges and building catalytic system platforms in which to address those challenges. And with all those things that we learn about leadership working in that way, we look at how we can take those insights and build platforms that contribute to the leadership discourse and really focus on articulating a vision of leadership for the future. And as I said, encouraging Australians to think about their role as leaders and the place that they play in their own contexts, in their families, in their communities, in the nation and also in the world. So that's pretty much it. It's a big ambition, um, Eric, but we're starting to do some very interesting work where we're genuinely, I think, you know, making a real difference on the ground and the leadership discourse conversation is increasingly something that we're making a contribution to. Given the name of the podcast, I'm very much into having discussions around leadership and uh, in any way, if I can spread the word of, of what it is that you're doing through my uh, contribution to the the thinking on this for what that's worth, it, it's great to hear that uh, some things are happening. So that gives us a context in which you work. But now I'd like to get really more focused on you by asking you about your leadership and its beginnings. Well, you know, I had a very salient moment in my life the other day where somebody wrote an email to introduce me to somebody and they and the and the words that keep ringing in my head Eric because it's caused me pause was the comment that said that my profile didn't do me justice and which took me back I have to say because I was thinking well I thought about it a lot since, and I think how I've thought about leadership is, I suppose, in many ways, my approach to leadership, I haven't always been, for reasons that I've chosen, I've got three children and I've always worked part-time because they were a really important priority to me. So I've I've done lots of different work uh, about supporting social impact and working behind the scenes and building capability and pushing the sorts of opportunities to explore ways of thinking about social impact. But I haven't necessarily been the one with big profiles stepping up at the front because working part-time doesn't afford you that opportunity. And I don't know whether it's a female thing or a personal thing for me, but it's made me really think about my role as a leader and what I've done. And I have to say, Eric, you know, to be honest, I stand behind the way I've approached leadership. 
I've done a lot of the scaffolding and I think the hard work to deeply think about myself as a leader and to build out that sort of platform for others to engage in those spaces and to create opportunities for people to come together. So look, just by way of illustration, you know, I built two centres at Melbourne Business School. I wasn't the professor that ran those centres, but I was absolutely instrumental in building the foundations for those centres. One was the Centre for Ethical Leadership and one was the Asia-Pacific Social Impact Centre. And in both those places, I was really interested in, as I said, building the scaffolding to think more deeply about things like leadership and social impact in the world. Both of those centres came about because um, I wanted to find forums and, and places in which people could come together and think deeply about those issues, build better practice models, bring together knowledge and practice in a sense-making sort of context. So that's sort of been my history, if that makes sense. I've only really, as I said, when my ch- my last child was 20, did I really step up into a full-time role and then take on the um, CEO role of the Menzies Foundation, have the opportunity to build something out where I suppose I was more of the front person. And so my leadership journey has been about deep interest in these questions. What is social impact? What are our responsibilities uh, to that? How do we think about doing that in better ways than the ways that currently exist? And how do we bring together large groups of people to think about that in a context where uh, the world becomes a better place, I suppose. So I suppose that's where I'd probably start on um, where I got to in terms of being CEO of the Menzies Foundation. Thank you for, for providing that answer. What interested me more in in your, your, your background there is you said, well, I was doing a lot of things in the background. I wasn't necessarily the person out, up the front. I think it's typically those people that are out at doing things behind the scenes that are making stuff happen that aren't necessarily the front-facing person in terms of the leadership position that often get things done. And whether you are front of house or back of house, I don't think it really matters. I, I think it's contributions to the greater good, whatever that might look like. And in your case, you're, you're very very much uh, in the thick of things when it comes to thinking around leadership. So yeah, I'd love to get more uh, into that. And we, we've got time to do that. And I, I, ha- I do have one additional follow-up question. So in that, in that world of work, you, you come across leaders, and I'm sure you've met a lot of them in your travels. Are you hearing a lot of discussion around visibility of the leader? Do you need to be the person up front to be considered uh, the effective leader, or can you be wherever you need to be to do that? I mean, you, you brought it up, and I'm interested in hearing what your view on that is. I, th- I think that's, Eric, to be honest, I mean, life has serendipity, doesn't it? Because it's sort of interesting that I've ended up in the place that I am, given the sort of comment that I just made. I think what's, I think it really deeply goes to the fact that we all have that capacity, that it's not the sort of hierarchical notion of the leader and status and front facing is one version of leadership that has its place and its time. But, and this is really the essence of what the Menzies Foundation is all about. All of us have that capacity to think about what the greater good is. Like, what is the greater good? And what is our individual responsibility to that greater good? And how do we think about ourselves as, in terms of the work we do, the people we are, as I said, in our community, the responsibility we have to our country? In all sorts of ways, people can step up into that leadership role uh, to think about their responsibilities to the greater good. And sort of, to be honest, so much of it's, you know, Sir Robert Menzies, 
had a, a huge sense of service, I suppose, and contribution. Uh, he was a very principled, values-driven person. He had great integrity. He And he genuinely, throughout his life, thought about service and the service and a great love and regard for Australians. And I think in a, the sort of global, tribal, digitised world that we're all moving in or we're in or moving even more towards, you know, we have to rethink about what that means for us as people and how we choose to live or lead. And it's not always the person up the front who has the status, but it's actually that really driving sense of purpose. What's my purpose? How do I live that purpose? Who am I and what do I stand for? These are the sort of defining things that I think provide an anchor for us to think about how we live, um, how we live and what our respons bigger responsibilities are. So I definitely think that it's it's le leadership with a small L is just as fundamental as leadership with a big L. And the sort of cynicism that people have about that big L vision of leadership, I think is really means that there is space and opportunity for us to think about all the difference we can make. My husband's father was just the most extraordinary man. He was a, um, I think he left school at 14. He was a driver at 11. He built a pie making business. And he was acknowledged for the role he played in his community by receiving an, an OAM, which he was absolutely never expected. And the person who nominated him was the woman who sat out the front selling raffle tickets for the disability organisation that Les, Simon's father, had employed dozens of people from in his factories over decades. And that's, to me, a massive example of extraordinary leadership. He didn't look for acknowledgement for that. He didn't see himself as a leader in that regard, and yet he made a huge and profound difference to people's lives in his community. And I, I think that's the essence of leadership for me. And I think all of us have it in it in us in small and big ways to think about how we enact that. Couldn't agree more. I think uh, leadership being um, the great enabler in the example that you've just used there with, with your father-in-law offering opportunities to people in your community to, to have a job and to progress themselves up however they want to is is a big deal and and i think recognition in your own community of what you contribute uh is a massive thing and you know i, I think I have to agree with you. I don't think most people go into leadership roles or seeking recognition, although there are some, I, I will hazard a guess, that do do that, but I, I hope they're in the minority because definitely my definition of leadership is about being of service to others. And so I'd ask you, what's your definition of leadership? My definition of leadership is to to be the boundary spanner, to be somebody that can bring people together help people define the purpose or the thing that drives them collectively and then build the scaffolding and the infrastructure that allows them to shine, to step up into those roles and to take on that responsibility. Uh, my definition of leadership is to think really deeply, as I said, about who I am and what's important to me and to make sure that I live in that way. And my definition in leadership is to step into those places where we're the greater good is an important priority and to, to make that just not something for myself but to think about it that in the context of the challenges that we face and to build the platforms that allow um, or support the Menzies Foundation to work with a huge raft of collaborators to address those challenges. So that's quite a long answer Eric but it's all those different things to me I have to say. That, and that's fine. There's um, one of the, the nuances here and, and I think one of the things that that drives me to still want to have these conversations because I learn something new every time I talk to guests and you've, you've helped do that as well is there is no um, 
common element when you're talking about how people define leadership. And you know, you, you could do a very deep dive into what affects people's definition of this concept early in a career, in the middle of a career, and towards the end of a career. And I think it change it can change over time. Now I haven't asked you that question, obviously, but I've have had guests before that I've 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 thrown it in there and I might do that now to ask you, do you think your views on leadership have changed over time or have they, have they only been strengthened? Did you have this core belief that leadership is around your value set? You've used that, that term a fair bit. So is that been consistent with you throughout your career or is it something that has morphed over time? I think, um, Eric, to be honest, I think values have always been really important to me. The only people I really don't like people whose values I don't respect, if I'm honest. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think values have always been very important to me in terms of who I am, what I do, how I engage in those spaces. I think, though, that I'm, you know, in my youth, I wanted to be up front. I wanted to be the leader, if that makes sense. I wanted to be the one that was acknowledged. And and it's taken me not a long time, but my sort of leadership journey is a really deep recognition that actually it's much more profound to be the one that builds the spaces in which others can flourish, that you can't lead all on your own. You're not leading if it's just about you. And I suppose that was, maybe that's wisdom or I don't know, maybe that's um, maybe that's the work I do, um, Eric, but I know working in systems change around, you know, profoundly big leadership challenges it's so much more important uh, in terms of what leadership is as I said to build the containers or the scaffolding that allows people to coalesce to come together to collaborate and that's a much more nuanced much more sophisticated understanding about leadership it's also uh, as I said probably not my natural style do you know what I mean I'm probably a little too enthusiastic I think quickly I like to move quickly Building a leadership movement requires a little bit of that, but a lot more of deep respect and genuinely deep listening, managing that tension between the work, what's happening on the ground and the lived experience of people in the work. And as I said, I suppose making sure that it's much more about how people come together than it is about profile or those sorts of things so I think certainly all of us and it, look leadership is a lifelong journey as you know it's not something that I think some people innately have a disposition to it or an interest in it or but you know some of the most profound leaders I've met are not necessarily the people you think you know it's marching out the front if that makes sense it's people who are deeply committed to something and who bring all who they are and all that they have not necessarily, not just financially, but in terms of networks and resources. And I think, but I think the thing that's the guiding force is this sense of what is my contribution? You know, what difference am I going to make? And I, I'm very often surprised in my life how few people actually think beyond themselves and their immediate circles about that bigger responsibility. And I think really true leadership is taking that step out of who just you are and what you have and what you know to think about a bigger responsibility to the world. And that's, as I said, the sort of thing that the Menzies Foundation is focused on. And I feel extraordinarily fortunate that I found myself in a spot where you and I can even have this conversation and where I'm having the chance, maybe it'll improve my profile on LinkedIn, having the chance to really build out these sorts of, this sort of, I think, really important foundation for us, who we are as a country and uh, in the region and in the world. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I could not disagree with anything you said. And in fact, one of the one of the issues you raise and and definitely not not in a negative way, I think in a very positive way, that when 
people are asked to think about this topic here and it, it does sound like you've done some deep dive thinking here that for me the ability to be introspective about what your leadership practice is about and what fundamentally drives you to be in that leadership space is an interesting place to be and hopefully the the more effective leaders that you'll meet in your travels and i, I meet these people all the time I'm, I'm talking to them all the time like i do in my podcasting that i think the one common factor that i'm finding with the all of the people that i'm talking to is an ability to be introspective and take feedback i think is a critical part of good leadership practice and i think everything you've talked about up to this point suggests that that if you're talking about what is my role on a, on a community scale when you're talking about leadership and I, I really like this idea and and I'm, I'm not stealing your IP here but when you talk about building that the the infrastructure the 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 architecture I really like that term to help leadership grow that's what I think good leaders instill in others that are on the come up that may want different aspects of leadership and in um, I think for those that are listening, depending on where you are in your career point, and I'll, I'll use, maybe use myself as an example here. When I was a lot younger, I thought trying to be that front-facing person or the, the person in charge was the be-all and end-all of, of having that tick to say, hey, you, you've made it somehow. And as I've gotten older and I've uh, um, helped to raise my kids with my wife, um, making mistakes and working out that it's not always about you and when you're rearing kids it's about them and about a sense of uh, uh, community in your family and then more broadly speaking makes you think more about this topic area and again if you're a leadership tragic like I am you will be thinking about this on more than uh, a daily you know on a daily basis and you start asking some more profound questions I think you've raised a lot of them in this conversation and there's no right or wrong answer here and I don't think a quick response to this is what exactly leadership looks like. It, I don't think is productive because I think it's something that's ongoing and you keep learning. I would hope as time goes along. Now, um, I want, if I can, I just I might bring it back to something about your specific leadership experience about decision making. So I'm critically aware that leaders are, are are there to do things, and one of the key things that we have to do if we're in leadership roles is to make decisions. And so. The idea, and it's not my idea, and I, I, I don't know who phrased the term, but this idea of a lonely road of leadership, Liz, is that is it really a lonely road, or as lonely as you make it when it comes to making decisions in that in that leadership space? Well, Eric, I think it largely depends on the context. I do think, though, that um, I think the buck stops with the leader. I suppose. So I think, you know, the sorts of the sorts of qualities that we're seeing or the attributes that we're seeing for leaders in the context of the world we live in at the moment, yeah, things like leaders' capacity to think in complexity, to be adaptive, to be comfortable with the notion of globalization, to be entrepreneurial and sort of exploring and seeking new perspectives and new ways of thinking and working. These are the sorts of qualities. And a lot of that implies this capacity to in a lot of our work people often talk about standing on the balcony you know about not just conceptualizing challenges or issues in leadership as what I see in my in the sort of immediate or in the in close proximity but this capacity to deeply account for how others are thinking for look for looking at the challenges from multiple perspectives from sort of having that position of 
standing on the balcony and being conscious of the biases and the things that are affecting the way that you're thinking about an issue. Um, and uh, this capacity, as I said, to sort of be the synthesizer, the boundary spanner, the person with multiple languages to take account of the challenge and to make a decision based in that context is in across all of our leadership initiatives is really something that we're looking at how we build out that capacity in people. So for example, the work we're doing around school leaders, like school leadership has become an incredibly complex task. You know, school leaders are faced with hundreds of decisions every day in highly complex situations. So the sort of work that we're doing with school leaders is around stages of development, helping build out their capacity to think in complexity, helping them around decision making, helping them to practice the sorts of skills that allow people to have greater clarity around those sorts of things. I think, you know, I think it's a combination of all those things. I think Leaders have to make the hard calls sometimes, Eric. I think leaders have to be prepared to step up and step out. I think leaders have to be prepared to call it. I think things like courage and having clarity around the basis upon which you're making decisions. I think this idea of context, all these sorts of things, of course, mean that I think sometimes leadership is lonely. But I think there are ways to think about how you develop yourself as a leader. And as I keep coming back to, without wanting to labour the point, I think the anchor is purpose. I think when you're in a situation where you don't have clarity or it's highly complex or it's very difficult, I think who you are and what you stand for is the anchor from which to explore and think about how to make those decisions that sometimes aren't that straightforward. Agree. I, th- I think the why of leadership is um, is critically important. Why, why are we doing something? Why are you doing something? Where are we taking our people with us, those that are following us. Yeah, I, I couldn't disagree with anything that you said. And in fact, it prods me to ask a question. Now, I know that your work with the foundation, there are uh, multiple drivers for what it is that you're doing around the leadership space. But I want to direct this question more to you around your personal leadership thinking is uh, around the topic of leader capabilities. Now, that's the that's the language I'm using in the podcast to talk about what are those things that leaders really do need to be not good leaders, effective leaders is probably the better term here. I have a personal set in my mind that I I think are foundational for me. Um, I've I've expressed them before and without going into defining what they all are, because this podcast is about you, not about me, but to give an example for me, things like strategic thinking, foresight, communication, being an introspective leader practitioner. These are some of the areas that to me are are, are fundamental for effective leadership. From my perspective, I'm I'm only bringing my, my lens to this. From your perspective though, Liz, what do you believe are um, key critical leader capabilities. I'm not looking for a list, just what... what, what oh, yeah. Eric, it's a great question. Uh, I think for me, vulnerability and bravery, I think are two of the big ones for me. So I think the work I do at the moment in terms of me, who I am personally as a leader, requires big dollops of both in the sense that I think our goals at the Menzies Foundation are audacious. I don't say the things that I say that about this leadership movement lightly. And we have an extraordinary opportunity as the foundation to really make a really significant contribution to the leadership discourse. I think that though that's, you know, that's a, that's a huge bar, if that makes sense. And uh, to be, to do that, I think vulnerability and bravery are the two things that I need most of. And I say those things amongst the myriad of other things, but I say those things because four years ago, we started with a blank sheet of paper. 
with no sense of what that leadership movement might look like or how we might build it. And there's two, so there's two things that I've really needed and actually to actually go from where we were four years ago to where we are now. The first is I actually had to be brave enough to say I could do it. I could actually create a vision and build an infrastructure. When I think most people you know, probably thought I was mad and and actually do it. And so, and so I constantly find myself in this work having to put myself in situations where I have to have a little talk to myself and say, okay, you can step into this place or you can explore this or you can be brave about this, if bravery is the right word. So, you know, I've just come from San Francisco. I'm in New York at the moment. I've just come from San Francisco where the foundation's just signed a heads of agreement with an extraordinary startup in Silicon Valley that's going to do, I hope, amazing things for school leadership. Now, who's to think a very small foundation from Australia, you know, with a pretty conservative legacy would be signing a heads of agreement with an extraordinary Silicon Valley entrepreneur who's, you know, globally recognised in terms of the work she's doing around team development. Four years ago, would anybody imagine we'd done that? And, well, well um, you, you did. I'm saying about being brave because well, that's, when that's... I first when I first started meeting with her, Eric, I used to have to steal my. I read her book. I, you know, I, I spent ten hours thinking about the questions I was going to ask her. I was really nervous about it. Do you know what I mean? Like as I said, it was audacious even for me, and I, I quite I'm audacious often if that makes sense. But I just think it's this idea of bravery that that we can. Do you know what I mean? That we should. That we must. That even when I doubt myself or I'm not certain or I've got to take a lot of people with me. And I don't know how it's going to go, that sometimes you've just got to take that leap. You've got to have that vision. You've got to push for that opportunity. And then vulnerability, because all of my work is really based on this idea that the opportunity for change sits at the nexus between silos, that the opportunity for actually making a difference in the world, for leading in these spaces, sits in the spaces in between, not working in the sort of silos that exist. And you can only work in those spaces in between with deep vulnerability. Because to be honest, it's very, it's really hard work. The whole point of it is my whole, the Menzies Foundation's whole imprimatur is how do we build those spaces where people who, even if they don't realise, have a fundamental issue on addressing the leadership challenge, but come with different narratives, different language, different priorities, different senses of what success looks like. How do we build those spaces where people can coalesce and in some way come together to drive for a bigger goal than the one they hold themselves individually. And the only way to lead in that space is with deep vulnerability because that's the thing, that's the place in which people become committed, in which people give all of who they are and what they have, in which people feel a sense of comfort and the opportunity to leap into what they don't know to design solutions beyond their own expertise and to have find true coalescence to unlock innovation runways that haven't existed when they've worked, as I said, in the, you know, travelling the road, they're travelling individually. So, as I said, I could I could talk to you, Eric, I've probably got a list of 20, but I think bravery and vulnerability would be the things that have really defined the work I've done over the last four years and probably the things that I challenge myself both in regard to the most in my own leadership practice. Yeah, I, I have to. Um, I have to apologise. It wasn't. Um, I wasn't uh, wanting you to come up with a definitive. This is a list to the exclusion of everything else, and it's never been my intent with that particular question. And it's interesting that in previous podcasts, and you've you've taken this to a very uh, interesting place. And I've, I've got another another follow up question for you. But one of the things that's come up uh, when I've asked the question around capabilities is 
oh, but Eric, you know, they're not the only ones. And I've never made that claim. For me, I think there's a core set for me that are critical, but doesn't exclude all the others. You've, you've got to have some empathy. You've got to be able to communicate. There are lots of things that leaders need to do to be functional in the workspace. But if you don't have those things, it's going to be very difficult to operate. So I, I for um, at no point do I think it's a limited set of things, but my core um, set of what I think is is critical is very different to what you've you've just brought up, and I I think I and not I think I know that there's a lot of value in what you've just said, and in fact one one thing that triggered my thinking was that I reckon there's a there's an entrepreneur there in you that is it's not just a CEO you're the you're a the entrepreneur ready to pounce at any point in time, and your language really does speak of that uh, an entrepreneurial bent and. I, I can fully understand that. I guess if you're playing in those spaces outside what people might uh, define as your siloed areas of knowledge around leadership and you want to get to those grey areas where people don't typically play, there is some risk in doing that and getting people to buy into that vision. I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole with this, but enough to say that I think that those are the spaces that help build the thinking around what does the next iteration of, of leadership thinking look like. And more importantly, for someone like me, who's a, a very junior early career researcher, and I'm trying to get my thinking as multifaceted as, as, I, as I can possibly uh, uh, do in with my limited gray matter at the moment, is um, I, I, I want to hear what others are thinking in this space. And definitely this idea that we need to be exploring the why of leadership and the complexities around leadership. And to finish off this point, and I'd get, love to get your view on this, is someone asked me the other day, uh, a colleague, so why do we want to have better leadership? But what, what's the point of developing our leaders? And it's one of those questions I didn't have an immediate response to. I said, look, I'll get back to you. I need to think about what my answer to that question is because it's complicated. And so I'd, I'd maybe put it to you in very initial thinking because I, I didn't, Put this to you before we started the podcast but i'll definitely ask why do we need to keep developing our leaders why why do we do this well because eric we're in a leadership crisis i mean you look at all the data the leadership data around the world and you know people have a fundamental distrust in leadership people are cynical about leadership uh, people don't believe that we currently have the leadership that will help us navigate the complexity of the future and that's a very unfortunate place to be because um, when people are cynical, distrustful of the world, they find themselves in not optimistic about the future, polarised, uh, at odds with themselves and the people who lead them. I think that's a really fundamental question for us as a community uh, and as a society. And I, some of it's indicative of the type of leaders we have now, that sort of political discourse, which is in many ways presents such an ugly vision of leadership. The sort of, you know, I've, I've read an enormous number of autobiographies and uh, about Sir Robert Menzies and, you know, this idea of civility, of friendship across the aisle, of the bigger purpose being the bit for what's important for the nation is one of the themes I think that was an enduring theme of his across his life. I also think that, um, so I, I also think that the work, you know, technology, people's cynicism about social media, algorithms that curate what we see that reinforce what we know rather than give us opportunities to ponder things we don't, the pace of change, the sort of 
con you know, climate change and the implications of that for the world and people's level of discomfort with what that means for their future. I think all of these things mean we do need to reimagine what leadership is and we do need to take a deeper and more profound responsibility about what that looks like. And I do, as I said, I'm, I'm amazed, Eric, I can't, I, for me, the greater good is something that's so fundamental to who I am and how I think about the world. I just think that we have to have more of a conversation about the community that we want to co-create together and our responsibilities to each other in order to create a different understanding of what leadership should be. And then also don't make it everybody else's problem, but think about the ways in small and large ways that we can be instrumental in contributing to that vision of the leadership that we want for the future. It's up to us, I think, individually, collectively, and our responsibility, as I said, beyond just our immediate, that's going to build the foundation to change the leadership discourse and give people a sense of agency, a sense of something, a level of comfort in the sort of pace of change and a way to define the future that they want and to have more optimism and more an, a better anchor, I suppose, in where the world's going and how we're all going to make come together to, you know, to make it happen. It sounds naive, but it's not naive because all of us can do things in the immediate, in who we are and what we are, to actually make that greater good the part, you know, the thing that that's the most important, and that will provide a different conversation about leadership. I think. Again, could not disagree, and, and in fact, um, one of the things that you brought up there, and it, it's. I'll only bring it up because I haven't had a chance to air some of my thinking on this, only to the degree that when I've been talking to people like yourself and others around the leadership topic, the one that is least brought up because the potential to go down the, the wrong kind of rabbit holes on this could detract from the discussion is around uh, leadership in the political sphere. Now, you, you kind of mentioned that before, and it, it's not the purpose of this podcast, but I've definitely been thinking about uh, political leadership versus leadership in other contexts. And I often previously thought, no, political leaders are a different breed of leader to other types of leaders in other industries, whether it's for profit or not for profit or wherever they're coming from, that the political class is a very different form of leadership. And my thinking's changed on that a fair bit. I think leadership permeates every profession, everything that we do. And I think expectations around what good leadership looks like in any human endeavor, it's worth talking about. And so uh, look, at some point I might get brave and, and run a series around political leadership and what's good, bad and ugly about what that looks like. But if I was ever going to go down that rabbit hole, the one thing I don't want to engage with, and I don't know how you separate the two, is the politics of politicians versus their leadership style doing what they do. So can you separate out the political party or the political philosophy from the type of leader that they are and I don't think that's possible and I don't know how to how to, how, would, how you would engage that and more to the point to get a, a good understanding of what um, political leadership could look like you'd have to get someone who's been in the political realm to come on and talk about what they think about it because I'd only be speculating and so yeah it's something I've been thinking about and, and the fact that you you've alluded to we need to think about leadership through this podcast in that grander sense makes for a lot more interesting conversations. And uh, you've got my, you've got me uh, thinking a hundred different questions here, Liz, but again, this is about you. So let me ask you this, the nature versus nurture question, are leaders born or are they made? Oh, I definitely think 
they're made. I think that, so, you know, all our work at the Menzies Foundation increasingly is focused on this idea of moving from the perspective of the leader to this notion of leadership. In order to work in complexity, in order to work in the context of the way the world is now, you really need to harness multiple expertises to bring a range of different expertises, insights, knowledge set, different ways of thinking about problems, different problem-solving aptitudes together. So the leader isn't all-knowing anymore. The context of the world and the way we operate and the way we live means there isn't, you know, very few people who are all-knowing, who have all the expertises, who can take the ball and run with it. So in that context, I think the shift for me around this idea of leadership is how do you harness a group of people you know, to, in order to solve some of the sort of leadership challenges or a leadership challenge, you often need people who come, as I said, from different perspectives with different expertises. As the leader, you're not always the expert. You don't, you know, you're not always the one that has the answer. And so in order to do that, the skills that you need are ones I think we all really should think about cultivating. How do you bring together a group of people with multiple expertises and build a strong and foundational team that allows those people to flourish and to coalesce around solving a problem or challenge together? That's really the essence of what we're seeing around leadership um, as the sort of key attributes, particularly, you know, we're doing some very interesting work with the Centre for Cybernetics at Australian National University, talking about leadership in a cybernetic world, uh, you know, particularly sort of AI context, machine learning and these things. And increasingly, some of the things that you've mentioned today, Eric, are coming to the fore. This idea, as I said, of moving from leader to leadership, this idea of multiple expertises, expertises and how you harness those and provide a context in which people can flourish and bring who they are and what they are to the problem. This idea of feedback loops you've mentioned a few times, Eric, being open to feedback loops, understanding feedback loops, this idea of sense-making and um, asking people to move outside of what they know into the uncertainty of what the solution looks like. You know, I just, it's funny, Eric, I just assumed that if I built those spaces, people would leap into them because probably that's me I mean to be honest that's I love those spaces like give me something I can't answer and I just dive straight in but I've learned really learned that that is not the way most people act so I definitely think you know I think being really conscious of what the context of leadership is like in the world today and really thinking specifically about what skill sets you need to bring into that means it is a much more made thing and I don't think there's even this I don't think there's even a sort of gold stamp of what a leader is is it the quiet person who's most able to for instance listen deeply and hear the nuances of what someone's telling them is that the leader is it the person who is at the front taking the brave step at the front of the you know uh, the um campaign? I don't know is that the leader I mean I think there's all different I think leadership's very nuanced and I definitely think all of us need to take, you know, what our natural disposition is, who we are. I mean, my probably natural thing is, as I said, to be brave, to leap into those places, to, you know, to my, that's probably mine. But, you know, these other qualities that I've really had to nurture in myself, this capacity to listen, capacity to not always jump in, things like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think leadership, I don't think you're a leader unless you really recognise that it's about the made part of it is absolutely fundamental. And to be deeply conscious of, what qualities you bring and what things that you need to work on in order to take your leadership role in the world. Yeah, like that response. My perspective on this is that sometimes you you can meet people in your in your life and I have that have almost project that 
leadership comes as a second nature thing to them but that could be my misinterpretation that maybe they've had a career where they've had those opportunities available to them to hone their leadership skills they've practiced things and what would be difficult for me is very easy for them and so you can you can get Eric, what's can i ask you a question though what's the, the sure. essence of those people what's the thing in those people that you identify <laughs> I would say it was, I would say it was their purpose. Like yeah. I would say it was their deep insight around what they stood for and what they were hoping to do and why the sort of thing, the foundation, I think that's the thing. How how, that, how dare you ask me a question on my own podcast? How, <laughs> how dare you, Lisa? <laughs> so look, I'll, I'll give you an answer. I've got. Yes, Eric, please I, do. I, I think I have an answer for this uh, and it's yes. not. Definitely not scientific. I think there's a genuineness to how they operate. And I get the feeling from these individuals that they don't have a, that they're coming from a place of authenticity. I don't know what the right word is. It just feels real. And it feels like it's coming from a genuine place that when they talk to you, they're talking from their real self. It's not a facade. They're not hiding what they're actually like. You, you feel that there's a genuine commitment to what, they're saying and doing and more to the uh, and more to that point there's one or two leaders that I've worked with that that idea that you would jump on a grenade for that person because you respect them so much and you just have an affinity for what they do you're connected to them in in some higher at a higher level that's where I think it comes from now I haven't explained myself very well because I've I've been thinking about this as well about why is it that people follow some other people and I'm not going to go with X factor. You just get a sense that they're genuinely in the moment and they they have a, a very clearly defined pathway to get to where they're getting to. You know what their goal is. Um, and that surety, that confidence is something that I think rubs off on others that are following those people. Because if you've got a leader that doesn't know where they're going, I think most people's BS radar is good enough to detect when someone is not either there, they're not present, or they don't know where the hell they're going. Does that make no, sense? No, Eric, I couldn't agree with you more. But I, but I, as I said, so much of what we do centres on purpose. Who am I? What do I stand for? What do I believe? How do I live that? What's my bigger responsibility? If you can answer those questions, even in small ways, in smaller contexts, then that really becomes the anchor. It's the pivot point that I think allows you to step up into some of these other spaces, perhaps where there is more uncertainty. Do you know what I mean? Where um, and, and vulnerability is fundamental to that in the way that you've talked about. And um, authenticity is another word for vulnerability in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, and, and vulnerability is not um, weakness. I've, 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 uh, that's been cleared up a few times for me, and I've never thought that I, I, I often figure and define vulnerability is putting yourself and your ideas out there to be tested and to be challenged. And by being vulnerable, you're actually saying to people, look, I could be making a mistake here, but I'm going to learn from, and I'm telling you up front with the way that I'm behaving, that I'm happy for you to challenge me on something. And you said something very interesting before, and we're we're going to have another podcast on this because this is definitely a topic area that I want to get a lot more deeper dive into that creating a space where people can come in and challenge existing thinking is not a space where most people want to jump into because the, it's the unknown about that is maybe maybe you're not going to get the answer that is going to be comfortable for you to get at the end of that process. Much like if you're doing good structured research that 
you may get an answer that you didn't expect or that doesn't support your hypothesis. And that's okay. That That's a finding that's worth trying to get to. And in the spaces you're talking about, the the I think the threat to the individual leader is a threat to the ego and to what you think you knew was right. If that gets fundamentally eroded, then you're in a really good Very, space. But to solve highly complex problems, that's the space that we've got to move into. It's not... There isn't a solution. There's a broken solution, and that requires us to think and work in new ways, which really goes to the heart of the way the Menzies Foundation, the platforms that we build, is how do we find the best thinkers, the people with the most insight, the people with lived experience as well, to co-design and co-create solutions that change those systems, that improve them. Let me ask you one question, and I'd kick myself if I didn't ask you this. You, you did mention that perhaps, well, not perhaps, that better leadership into the future requires people that are willing to collaborate and know that they don't know some things so you get those different expertise around the table. You're kind of talking about how boards are meant to operate, are you not? That you've got people with all forms of different skill sets that come to a table that hopefully can make good decisions based on the feedback from an executive director or a CEO or an executive officer, whoever that person might be. But we often see boards either not functioning or being dysfunctional, is that potentially an outcome of not having enough variety of thinkers around the table? Or is that a a common wicked problem for boards in that it's difficult to find that perfect mix of people? Oh, look, I just, I think that's a great question. I, I know in philanthropy, particularly in terms of the research that I've done, but I also, I think in some ways, in, on, I've sat on quite a few not-for-profit boards, I think multiple expertises that are really encouraged to deeply intellectually engage with the challenges or the questions is absolutely fundamental. At the Menzies Foundation, we're a really small foundation and I have 12 people on my board, which is a really quite a large board, but I just am so grateful to them because they're 12 extraordinary people who bring so much expertise and so much insight into the work we're trying to do. They're genuinely It's a genuinely contestable space in the sense that I can rely on them to, as I said, bring their intellect, their networks and their resources to the work. To be be honest with you, as a CEO, I've done all that I can to actually build out that place, working with the chair, who's my chair is deeply committed to the work we're doing and ambitious for the foundation and shares my vision of what a difference we can make in the world. And he creates the context, I think, where... We've attracted extraordinary people who make a really significant contribution across multiple domains of our work. And I just think good governance is so empowering and it's so important in terms of this nexus between, say, the role of the CEO and the role of the board and how that needs to work optimally to maximise the potential of organisations. So things like board composition, things like expectations around what you hope board directors will bring to working. I don't think sometimes in um, the sort of not-for-profit space that I suppose there's as much focus on the rigour of that. Do you know what I mean? That there's enough priority given to, you know, to really ensuring that governance processes and governance practices are outstanding and excellent because, uh, and it's even more important in the context we're working with because we're working on problems that are real. We're not selling widgets. We're working on problems that are really sophisticated and difficult and 
as you said, the role that the governance plays in supporting organisations to work in those spaces is fundamental and we need to make uh, create a higher priority around building out that expertise in those boards and um, really making them um, focused on strategy and the things that sit in strategy as opposed to the sort of mechanics of running organisations, which so often are not-for-profit boards. I've sat on about that. It's about how much money you've got in the bank or the mechanics of doing it. There's not sufficient space or scope or opportunity to really interrogate strategy in a way that's required for um, governance and for organisations to be best positioned to support each other for success. Uh, Liz, final question for you about your leadership pathway. Looking back, what would you say to a younger version of yourself about being a more effective leader? Oh, Eric, what would I say? That it's okay to want to lead, that it's a completely legitimate way. I've always, I always wanted to be a leader, that it's a journey. It's not what you think it is now, that it's a journey. That the most important thing, as I said, is to really think about who you are in the world and the way you want to live in the world and to use that as the as the point in which you make decisions about what leadership looks like and the sort of leader that you want to be. I'd say put yourself in situations where you don't feel comfortable, you know, you feel outside of your comfort zone because that's the places you'll learn most. Be really conscious that you'll need to constantly work on yourself, both to improve the things you're good at and to really focus on the things you're not so good at. And most important of all, I think from my point of view, just have a go. Take that step. Go forward hold the flame that turns you on that makes you excited about the world and just take that step even when it seems even when it seems uncertain or you don't know where it's going to take you just just do it just do it because the world needs all of us I think to be positioned to position ourselves in that way and to take on those responsibilities for those listening I've been speaking to Liz Gillies who is the CEO of the Menzies Foundation thank you for your time mate no worries, Eric. I've really enjoyed talking with you, Eric, and look forward to hearing more about what you're doing and the research that you're focused on. Well, I just think it's that. very important, Eric. I think Thank it's you. very important, the work that you're doing. Brilliant. Thank you for that. So for those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thanks again for supporting the podcast, and we'll catch everyone on the next podcast.